0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things food with your favorite chefs, food influencers and Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we have our first returning guest on the podcast talking about his first job at a Holiday Inn kitchen at just 15 and his perspective on the evolution of the hospitality industry. He is a chef, restaurateur, the younger tattooed half of the Voltaggio brothers, and a titan on Bobby's triple threat. It's Michael Voltaggio. Michael, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, What a relief that Brian Guy isn't here to take the spotlight, right? (laughs)
1: He's actually on his way, so he may interrupt this podcast in a couple of minutes.
0: <laughs> uh, well, that's fine. He can he can jump in again. Uh, but you are officially our first Repeat guest on the podcast And I am so excited to talk to you about Bobby's Triple Threat, uh, which By the way, just got renewed for a Second season, so congrats on that
1: Yeah, I think it's appropriate that I got A second podcast with you guys, because <laughs> yeah. I got a second Season, so let's just keep these twos Going. All right. I like this. I'm
0: into it I'm into it. You also had a birthday Recently, September 29th. How did you Celebrate and how much do you Identify with your Libra sign?
1: We actually had food flown in from Gold Belly. We, uh, oh, nice. <laughs> (laughs) I wanted roasted duck for dinner and I just bought a new house kind of outside of the city. So any food that gets here from other restaurants usually gets delivered. And um, so we got Philippe Chow's roasted duck kit and uh, cooked it at home. My fiance and I recently got engaged too. to double celebrating.
0: Uh, well, geez, you have lots to celebrate right now. That's so exciting. Uh, when you were younger, what did you think your 40s would be like? And how has this decade kind of surprised you?
1: I mean, that's cute that you said that because I actually just turned uh, 21. Oh, and I'm so, so, my
0: bad, my bad, my bad.
1: Times two, um, <laughs> 44. Uh, What did I think my 40s would be like? I mean, I hoped it would look like this, but I guess I just never thought it, it would have been possible. Um, My first job cooking was was at a Holiday Inn hotel. and. For that trajectory to, to lead me to here, if somebody would have told me my 15 year old self, I'd be getting to do the stuff that I get to do. I I would have said they were crazy. Like, I mean, it's, I'm honored and blessed and I feel really lucky to have had the career that I've had given the fact that, like I said, I started running the food on the Sunday brunch buffet at the local Holiday Inn.
0: (laughs) Uh, Let's take it back to to that time in your life. I mean, it's kind of my understanding you essentially had to go out on your own at that young age and kind of support yourself, which requires a lot of grit, resilience. Were those qualities that you innately possessed or are those something that you kind of cultivated along the way?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's not, I don't look at anything as like a a sad story or anything. You look at these challenges opportunities. And for me, I really embraced the opportunity. And it's funny because when I found the kitchen, you know, it was a source of income. I was paying rent in my own apartment when I was still in high school, uh, going to school full time, playing football on the football team and then going to work after I left football practice and working till 11 or 12 o'clock at night. It really prepared me, I think, work, work ethic-wise for what the rest of my career would look like. And it has been that busy since. And so <laughs> picture yourself in school, waking up, going to class all day, going to football practice, then going to work after. I don't know that there's a better way to prepare for all the things that I would be juggling in my now career. And so, you know, I had this saying, if you can't take the heat, stay in the kitchen, because <laughs> I found myself really... Being happy in that environment and and realizing very early on that I was going to be doing this for a long time.
0: And, and you know the world has really changed a lot since that time since the mid 90s in terms of just how we view these non-traditional paths because back then a chef was not, you know, as sexy of a profession as it is now. Um were you able to see that vision for a future in the industry or was that like a happy surprise?
1: No, I mean not at all. I you know, back then it was still considered like, oh, you worked in the food service industry. Like what did you do wrong in your in your academic career? that led you to that. And I just, I I didn't, I've never had any other job outside of that. So it wasn't like, oh, I tried the food and the cooking thing uh, because it was a second career or this or that. It was really my first and only career. And so most people retire after doing 25 years of something. I'm well (laughs) over 25 years in this industry. And honestly, I feel like I'm still getting started. And yes, we just talked about like season two of, triple threat and all that sort of stuff. And for me, it's like every time we add these sort of new full-time jobs to the already existing ones, it's just new experience after new experience after new experience. And and for me, it's that method of study or that discipline that keeps me fresh. Mm -hmm. And so- some, some chefs and, and, and again, I very much respect it. They, they end up with one restaurant. They stay in that restaurant and they just sort of evolve that restaurant. And that's the one thing that they do for the life of their career. And I'm constantly like putting myself back in that mode of study, which I think keeps me ready for things like triple threat where I can compete against. I hate to say it, I'm becoming one of the old guys. But some of the younger, you know, men and women that are coming up in this industry right now, and just keeping my knives sharp and my brain sharper to be able to keep up with them. And I was afraid of people like me. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm afraid of people like me. That's the part that I'm scared of. Is, is people that that are going to leave it all out on the table the way that I do and just keep keep leveling up.
0: What What is it about you know just that environment in the kitchen that that obviously it kind of drew you in it as a necessity but what has kept you in this industry for so long
1: i think it's the creative process and i think for me it's it's challenging myself in that way like i was never really good at any sort of form of art outside of this and so i actually really hone in on that part of of the process and of the of the industry I just genuinely love cooking and, and, and I know a lot of chefs say that. And, and sometimes I would say that that statement out of some chefs is, is somewhat unbelievable. And so for me, it very much is why I do what I do. I still grab two ingredients on occasion and, and, and I'll just not on occasion, but every day, like if I'm in my kitchen, even here at the house, um, I'll, I'll grab a couple of things that you would never eat together. And I think that's the start of a dish is sometimes just take two very different ingredients. And just put them in your mouth and close your eyes and chew them together and see if it works. And nine times out of 10, you'll spit it out. But like (laughs) that one time, that one time where you have that aha moment, you may have just created the next great food pairing. And so I challenge people even at home sometimes to, to even something simple, like as, as elementary as this sounds, grab a peanut and a grape. And eat those two things together. And, you know, obviously peanut butter and jelly, but that had to start somewhere. Do
0: you remember like a specific combo that you tried that you were like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing?
1: I think more about the assembly or the construction of something like the first time when I was like 12 years old and, and you know, we all had like ramen noodles in the pantry or like a loaf of white bread and some bologna and cheese. And I used to always just figure out what what's the best way to put these together. And we've all tried it, like cook the ramen noodles and drain the water off and then just use the seasoning packet and mix that into the noodles with like a tablespoon of butter. And all of a sudden you've created a new dish out of something that was meant to be done a different way. And so I think that very early on, I just did a lot of things like that re like rethinking how ingredients can go together.
0: Yeah. And I think we see a lot of that, obviously on on social media now too. What, what is your opinion on how social media and you know, that visibility into ingredients industries has influenced like this upcoming generation in terms of their career choices and and what they're seeing from people like you.
1: Well, I think it's a double-edged sword because you, you think about things like the modern food movement and one of the biggest complaints about people that were cooking like the way, you know, that I've been cooking for a lot of years, like this sort of modern food, what does that mean? And so people would go out to restaurants and say, wow, that looks really cool and what a great idea, but I didn't really like how it tasted or there wasn't any, there wasn't a a foundation to build this off of. And I think that as visual as we're becoming, it it definitely sort of gets us away from that foundation, the classic discipline of cooking. And so I think that as much as, it, as much as it like grows the demographic of people that are interested in food or something more in the food that they're eating. And I love that part of it. Like it, we're, our audience is just getting bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and bigger and bigger. And much like you said earlier about um, the career of a chef wasn't necessarily one that you would brag about 25 years ago. People started to like get really interested in it. Now, with that being said, I think a lot of these sort of visual chefs or these social media chefs. Um, they might not necessarily have the classic training that I think is crucial, like watch old Jack Pepin or even current Jack Pepin cooking videos (laughs) to see how to do things correctly. And I think that that's, that's equally as important. And I think that those, and one thing I think you see in these trends is a lot of the classic ways of cooking is actually becoming the most modern. So the ability to distribute this information to me is so impressive, but I think the responsibility we have to make sure that that information is good. Mm-hmm. The information that is being distributed is good information.
0: Yeah. No, that's a very good point. Like you don't want like a whole generation of people like, you know, kind of doing things the wrong way, I guess.
1: Well, I mean, I would rather see you like properly break down a chicken first <laughs> than dance with it. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> I mean, I would probably rather see that just in general, you know, just the the proper breaking down of a chicken You know, as you were kind of developing along in your in your career in this industry, when did owning your own restaurant feel like the most natural next step in your career?
1: Um, I mean, after so when I went and sort of did my first form of television or competitive cooking on television, I left a position with Jose Andres. I was the executive chef of the bazaar. And sort of I took a leave of absence at that time. And then when I got back, um, I felt a responsibility to, not being in Jose's restaurant because of what came with that, number one. But number two, it was a new hot restaurant in L.A. with an open kitchen. And so just having come off my first sort of import or, or, or really big, largely watched television series, I didn't want to be in an open kitchen in the middle of Los Angeles. And so I left and went to... Pasadena and worked in a hotel where I was responsible for the fine dining restaurant and it was dinner service only five nights a week and I did everything from bread through pastry and so it was important to me um, to go put myself through that study but also to be able to continue to authenticate what I was doing on people's televisions and so after I did that for a little while uh, I was like okay I really need to go and do this for myself because i need to open a restaurant where i don't have any rules or i don't have anyone telling me what to do and that's when the idea of ink came and i opened my first restaurant uh, on melrose in west hollywood los angeles sort of area and uh it was it was received really well out of the gate and so then again the responsibility that came with that to maintain that that level of anxiety or that level of pressure or that level of responsibility is what drives me to to work harder. Mm -hmm. And so we have this term in the kitchen about being in the shits or being in the weeds. And I think that I actually thrive in that environment. Um, If I get complacent, then I I'm not doing what makes me feel good.
0: I actually ate at Inc when I was in L.A. uh, shooting Iron Chef Showdown um, and it was fantastic. But how did you how did you know you were ready for for that next step? Or did or are you never quite ready for that?
1: I mean, it was really based on um, having the right partners, having the right support system around me. I think that a lot of chefs take on all of it out of the gate. And I think that it's it's super important that you have the right support system because for me, I know what I'm good at and what I'm good at is being creative and cooking food. So I needed to be in an environment where I could be a business owner, but I could have the resources around me that would allow me to do my part, but also have the people around me that can do their part too, So that the vision can be executed correctly, and I think that whether correctly is is the right word or not, it's what was correct for me back then. And I just I needed to have a team around me that could allow me to just focus on being creative. And I think that I had that. Mike Ovitz was my first business partner, and he you know started his career supporting creatives, representing Mm. creatives in creative fields. And so for me, it was a it was a it was a good fit because he built his career fighting for his creatives. And I thought that, you know, what a better, I couldn't have a better partner out of the gate.
0: As someone who has now, you know, owned several restaurants and opening more in the coming months, how is your personal approach to hospitality reflected in these spaces and how you operate them?
1: I mean, hospitality, that's an interesting word because I think it's one that more people should start using today. I think that, and one, hospitality looks a lot different today than it did back when luxury was the only form of hospitality. I think hospitality is expected in any business, whether you walk into a gas station and the person behind the counter um, greets you when you walk through the door. I think those little nuances or those little moments are the ones that separate sort of the ones that care from the ones that are just there to take your money. And so hospitality to me is something that Will always be important because the industry, the hospitality industry was so welcoming and, and took care of me um more so than I ever thought it could. And I mean this in my personal life, my professional life. Hospitality is really what gave me my my opportunities in life. And so um I, I believe this this need to nurture or or this mood of creating an environment where people feel like they're being taken care of is more important today than it ever has been. And so, and, and that goes for your team too. We talk about um, the internal guests as well as the external guests and the internal guests to us is, is the teams we surround ourselves with. And it's important that they feel good coming to work every single day too. And so that's the environment that as we continue to evolve, we hope that we can provide a safe, creative, inspiring work environment for everyone involved including our guests.
0: Yeah, I mean because you are now in that position to give those opportunities to other people as you were given them when you were, you know, younger and coming up in the business. What do you look for when you are hiring talent or looking for people to add to your team?
1: People that are interested in learning how to I mean on the on the kitchen side, people that want to learn how to cook better. You know, there's a lot of people that have heard of me through. And honestly, that's the first question generally we'll ask is like, why do you want to work here? And if it's like, Oh, I really loved you on that show you did like (laughs) that's kind of a red flag, unless, you know, it's followed up with in that one dish that you made where you dipped that grape in liquid nitrogen and then coated in jelly made from red wine to make it look like a grape. I really want to learn techniques like that. Or I ate a specific dish here and I realize this is the type of food that I want to cook. Those are the things that I'm looking for. And on the service side, even the same thing, like, you know, I came through this restaurant one day as a customer and I felt really good when I left. So I want to be a part of a team like that. It's not necessarily stacks of experience because I feel like every experience is different. But as long as you have a genuine desire to add those experiences to your own repertoire, much like I did, I, I think that that's an effective hire because- it is about sharing information. I'm not, a lot of chefs are very, they keep their recipes very close to their heart. They don't, they don't share them. And, and for me, getting that information out there without any insecurity is, is really important because it also helps, it keeps the conversation going. And education to me in any creative industry or any industry in general is the most important part of it. Knowledge. People people should want knowledge. And if they're not looking for that, then, then you have to question sort of what it is that they're looking for.
0: Yeah. I mean, we talked a little bit about social media in terms of how it's affecting this up and coming generation of potential chefs. How has it affected just the restaurant industry or hospitality industry as a whole in terms of, you know, people seeing something on Instagram or TikTok and needing to go have that experience themselves? Has it been positive or negative or maybe like a little bit of both?
1: I think it's both. But I think the the most positive thing about it is giving the people that eat in our restaurants and the people that work in our restaurants a a voice. And so, you know, think back to 10 years ago, that voice was a a food writer, Mm. um, a travel journalist, a luxury writer, somebody that, you know, may stop by the restaurant once and write one review about your restaurant. And then all of a sudden that review can sort of make or break the future of that restaurant, and I think the thing that social media has done has given the like the people that are actually going in there, spending their money, an opportunity to share their experience. And so, what we look for is consistencies in the threads. If we see, you know, and I've gotten everything from. I hated the parking garage near the restaurant. So one star and you know, you're like, I didn't, I didn't build the parking garage. And by the way, we have ballet parking. I'm sorry that you, you wanted to self park. You made that choice, but, um, but other things like the food was over salted or I just didn't like this particular dish. As an operator, it actually gives us real data that we can go through and read and look for those consistencies. And if we find them, then it's up to us, you know, sort of. Disconnect from our egos and listen to our guests. Mm. And I think that that, that part of it to me is incredible. Yeah. But also when you have these visual assets floating around everywhere, most people have sort of already had the experience before they got there. And so now because they know everything about the restaurant, including what it looks like, what the food sort of tastes like, what the service or level of service they can expect, you now have to deliver, but you also have to exceed those expectations mm. because Restaurants were meant to be able to create those surprise moments. And so now it's like raise the bar. How are you going to surprise people when they come into your restaurant if they've already sort of gotten all the information about it prior to showing up?
0: Well, speaking of which, you are in the middle of opening up a new restaurant, a couple of new restaurants, but in in particular, Fioretta Steakhouse in Chicago, which kind of embodies this 1950s era Italian steakhouse, which I think will fit in perfectly in Chicago. Why did this project feel right and speak to you from the concept to the location, everything.
1: I mean, Brian and I are really honing in on this sort of our our Italian-American heritage. And so for us, um, it's put us into a method of study that is really important to us because there is a personal connection to this type of food for us. But more importantly, um, Chicago is home to some of the best steakhouses and some of the best Italian-American restaurants in the country. So why not just mix those two concepts together and then I think for me personally, and and also Brian as well, sort of taking a retro modern approach to everything that we do and giving, you know, earlier I talked about that foundation of cooking and having that foundation and not being new just for the sake of new, but looking at how you can build something new on top of of a classic foundation and recognizing uh, the disciplines that we should carry with us for the rest of our careers. And you look at that through fashion right now you look at it through the automobile industry you look at that through interior design sort of retro modern is becoming a thing and a theme and Mm. it's not just retro and it's not just modern but like modernizing the things that have worked but also don't change it for the sake of change Mm. and so um imagine sitting in a steakhouse in chicago and ordering a prime dry aged new york strip but then also as a side dish getting an extruded a uh, house extruded pasta that we hand make and we make the sauce and you get a bolognese made from the 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 dry aged meat scraps wow. and so you can have your pasta and your steak you know you can have your steak and eat it too I love that
0: <laughs> I like that I like that that should be like your tagline um i mean what is developing a restaurant menu like that look like like what's your creative process like
1: Well, one thing that we've done recently, and we just got back from a trip to Chicago and Brian's like I said, he's really flying to my house right now. Because (laughs) a lot of times when we do the R&D, we try and do it in a location where we're not surrounded by a lot of distraction. And so we uh, both have all the equipment in our personal spaces in our homes, so that when we're cooking food for the restaurants, we have the same equipment to get ready for the restaurants. And, And that really is, it starts like anything else. And without any technology, I mean, we were in Chicago last week with a dry erase board and not just Brian and I, but eight of us sitting in a room and we said, okay, what if all eight of us write the entire menu so that everyone agrees what the content should be. And then Brian and I can step away and do the research and do the the development and create each individual dish rather than us try and sell you on every single dish and, and talk about the context of the dish With the food in front of you, let's decide what it is. Let us go and make it and then present it. So we're not negotiating the whole process back and forth. Mm. It's more like tweaking it at that point. If we say eggplant parmesan, that to you means something completely different than it does to me. But in a group of people, we know as the owners of this restaurant or as the partners of this restaurant, we want an eggplant parmesan. Okay check. We're going to put that on the menu. Now, what is that eggplant Parmesan? And now it's up to Brian and I and our chefs to develop that one dish. And so 35 dishes later developed the same way, uh, we'll have a completed restaurant concept.
0: Who gets to be like the taste testers for all of this (laughs) (laughs) R&D?
1: All of us. Um, You know, it doesn't go to the rest of the team until Brian and I feel good about it. And that's why having Brian as my partner is such such a incredible thing because people, are like, oh, you guys must fight all the time and this and that. But it's a lot different when your business partner is your brother. And so there's a level of trust and a level of honesty that's to be expected when you can talk to each other without any filters. Like he's not going to go to human resources and <laughs> put a complaint in on anything that I say to him in that con- in that conversation and vice versa. And so we get, we get to be real honest with each other without holding back. And Brian and I have now gotten to a level of not just maturity uh, with each other to where we can handle it, but respect. Mm. And I think that my brother is one of the most incredible technicians I've ever met in any kitchen. And my creative process is a lot different than other people's. And so when we mix those two things together, we usually get to somewhere special. And I think that that's something that I just love about not only my relationship with my brother, but my professional relationship with my brother.
0: How how for both of you, how do your restaurant ventures and your time on television like coalesce? Do you find that they tend to feed or starve one another?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. I, I think the first time I did decide that you know, was able to be a part of a TV series, I, I was like, OK, maybe I can like bridge this gap between the chefs that are out there, like going for stars and the chefs that are on TV. And maybe there's an opportunity to take Cause I was pretty introverted back then in the kitchen and knowing that now, like knowing that and watching what I do now, like I had to learn a skill set and the skill set was how to be better on TV and being able to sort of use this as a way to, to sort of tell my story and, and, but more importantly, provide an opportunity or at least m- inspire other people that had similar career paths to me. To like step out of the kitchen a little bit more and see the opportunity to connect with more people outside of your restaurant and i think for me that's the biggest reason why i do it and then i did fall in love with it it's like everything else <laughs> It's like i was terrible at it. i remember the first time i got to do something after my first show on camera and it was like an ad for a blender company and the teleprompter was in the camera and the producer kept saying like I can literally see you reading every single (laughs) word off. Like you need to figure out a way to be more natural at this. And I found that when I'm talking about food and I'm not reading a script, I'm actually a lot better at that Mm -hmm. because it's real. Like when we're shooting triple threat and Bobby walks up to me while I'm cooking and he's like, what are you doing? There's no line for that. It's literally like I look down at my own hands. I look at the pots and pans that are right in front of me. And I talk to Bobby about what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And so when I can do that, I'd rather be cooking than doing anything else if there's a camera in my face. Because (laughs) I know at any moment, I'm not going to be like, what was that line again? Like, I know, I know what's happening. I know what's going on. And I'm excited to talk about it.
0: Michael tells us about competing as one of the Titans on Bobby's Triple Threat up next. we love watching you on tv we love watching you on bobby's triple threat uh, because you are one of the three titans who are essentially kind of defending their status up against another chef who is vying for twenty five thousand dollars bobby shared a story um, of this like undercover trip that he took to cast tiffany Derry as one of the titans he was already familiar with your cooking your cooking style so Tell us what the process was of you kind of getting notified of this potential opportunity to be
1: part of the show. You know, it's funny is I've been friends with Bobby for a long time and I've, we worked together quite a bit and it's all, I love working with Bobby because um, he's, he's a chef, like he's a chef's chef. This man cooks. Mm -hmm. And that's something that for me, if I was to ever look at somebody that I would want to emulate that does both things that I do, meaning like, has restaurants and cooks food for guests, but also is on television doing the same thing. I would say Bobby's career is one that I would sort of, I've been the most inspired by Mm. because he has, you asked me a question earlier, how do you balance both? And I would answer that with Bobby Flay did it. So I think (laughs) I can do it too. And I mean that because I think that he's a good example of, it's important to do this stuff off camera so that when you're on camera, you can be that much more effective. And so, but one thing about competitive cooking that I didn't realize until recently, and it's a very different discipline. It's not to say that we're the best chefs in the world or that the best chefs in the world are the ones that are on television cooking, because I would argue that that's not the case. And I I would say that what it does is it, it gives you an opportunity to continue to develop your skills and keep you sharp. And so for me, it's about, I have to continue to study because when I'm in a kitchen cooking and more specifically, if it's on television, nine times out of 10, I'm probably competing and I compete to win. Mm-hmm. And the best way to do that is to practice. Like in a restaurant, I can develop these dishes for the new menus for the next three months. But when I'm competing, I've got like three minutes to develop the <laughs> dish, and then 25 left to cook it or 27 left to cook it or whatever it is. And it's like, that's real. Like there's no, There's no like, oh, take 10, 20 minutes to figure out what you're going to do. And then we can the clock starts. You cook and whatever, whatever, when the time stops and our hands go up like this, that's it. Mm -hmm. Like that is it. And so to me, it keeps us sharp. But it also, again, it gives us an opportunity to just continue to educate people more and, and show show more people the type of food that we're cooking or, you know, everyone's like my cooking style is this and my cooking style is that. And for me, my cooking style is the one that I haven't really learned yet. And so oftentimes, even when I'm competing, I'll try something I've never done before.
0: Bobby described you as being out of your mind in the best possible way. (laughs) Um, Is that an accurate assessment?
1: (laughs) I mean, I know I know it appears that way. uh, Sometimes there is definitely a lot of thought that goes into what I do and a lot of pressure because I have been sort of labeled as that. And so for me, um, I feel a pressure and a responsibility for people people are like, yeah, it was good. But like, where's that thing that Voltaggio does? Or where's that? Like, where's that? I mean, he, all he did was sear a steak, but sometimes that's all you really need to do. And so I feel the hardest thing about watching somebody cook and not being able to taste the food is sometimes that crazy thing that I do might be in the taste of a sauce, or it might be in the way that I treated one particular ingredient that you can't really experience unless you get to put it in your mouth, and I think that that part um, it's hard to communicate that uh, on somebody's TV screen mm-hmm. because a lot of times it's not going sometimes I want it to look underdone or under under manipulated so that when you eat it you find those surprises
0: I mean one of the cool things about this show is that there really aren't any you know gimmicks with the ingredients. Bobby is kind of straightforward, simple. It's like two ingredients that naturally go together. But does that make it like more challenging or less challenging, do you think?
1: One thing you're not, there's no curveball. So there's no like, okay, this shrimp and soy sauce there, how do I make them go together? And honestly, you could just sear the shrimp and put a little soy sauce on it and it would be incredible. But now you're being judged by someone. So now because these pairings are sort of, I don't want to say easy, but they make sense. Now these judges are looking for something that is going to wow them. That's going to surprise them. And maybe something that where they're scratching their head and like, I can't believe they thought of that with these two ingredients, because if the ingredients were like beets and white chocolate, everyone's going to make something crazy that you haven't really seen before. But if it's shrimp and soy sauce, it's like, how do you make something that doesn't disrespect or or you don't manipulate those ingredients too much that you lose them, but at the same time you create something that that is I don't know tight tight and worthy I guess <laughs> I'll say. But also um, one thing that I've noticed and certainly in season one is a lot of those first round ingredients were ones that you know I think it was very it was almost like the the, the competing chefs the guest chefs that were coming in. They, they still sort of, they were ingredients that they were familiar with too. And I appreciate the fact that Bobby wasn't trying to throw them off either. And so what Bobby did was he gave everyone a platform and an opportunity and the ingredients and the equipment to just cook the best possible food they could without any tricks. And I love that about the show because the food has been incredible. And I'm not, I mean, Brooke's food, Tiffany's food, uh, you know, my food, I'm a little biased too, but, but the chefs that are coming in competing against us like blown away. I mean, just the best food I think I've seen. I mean, competitive cooking in a long time. Wow.
0: I mean, and it's crazy too, because these challenger chefs, they have to take on all three of you at some point. And, you know, they get to decide when in the competition they're going to go up against each one of you. But at the end of the day, they have to, you know, cook against all three of you and ultimately, you know, get the higher score in order to win that money for you. Do you prefer to cook earlier in the competition or later?
1: It doesn't really matter to me. <laughs> I just want to cook. And and in every round when I'm sitting on the couch and I'm not cooking, I'm just sitting there thinking like, well, what I would have done is this. And, what, and I think that that's what a lot of people at home are doing. And that's what I love about it. And again, back to the two ingredients making sense. I think everyone can play along with this. Mm. So imagine having to sit there and watch it. We're serious, like we're sitting on a couch, much like a lot of people are at home playing along. And so that part's really difficult. But for me, the competitors that have to cook all three rounds, not only are they having to creatively push themselves and there's a fatigue with that, but there's a physical fatigue that comes with. It's the adrenaline, the start, the stop, the ingredients, the creative process, the the cameras, Bobby asking you what's going on. I mean, there's a lot happening. And I have to say like the competitors that come into this kitchen, and put themselves through that like it really is hard like it's not easy i'm physically exhausted after one round like i'm gasping for air i'm drinking water like i feel like i just worked a 14-hour day on the line because it's that much it's that intense Mm. it really is like it's not like okay ha, ha ha here we go it's like we're cooking it's almost like we're cooking for for a job interview like i And it's crazy because like when you apply for a job as a cook or a chef, a lot of times you have to do a tasting for the people that are hiring you. And that pressure is is very real. We have that same pressure every single round on this show.
0: Wow. And it takes, I mean, you guys are shooting one episode in a whole day. Like it takes the whole day, correct?
1: Yeah. And now, but then if we do multiple episodes in a week, it's like that anxiety is with us for the entire week. I mean, when I tell you that Brooke and Tiff and I, are, are texting each other checking in <laughs> on each other like are you good like you know one day one of us has a good day and the other one doesn't have as good of a day part of our team and it really is a team is to like build your team back up and so i mean there were there were days on the on set where i just felt very down and like i let the team down today but there was two other people on the team that were going to lift the team back up and i think that people will see that um we all have to do that for each other throughout the entire uh, season, much like we have to do in real life at work. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what this, this show really is or this competition is yes, it's in a speakeasy and Bobby's in a suit and there's cocktails and there's a live audience and it's exciting, but it really does also mimic what our real life is and our real careers. And I think it's a good snapshot into like how we get each other's backs and how we challenge each other and how we push each other and having, you know, sort of Bobby as our boss. It's like, we don't want to let him down either. And so as much as we joke around with him, like on beat Bobby Flay and stuff. And it's like, let's, let's, let's throw him off his game and let's pick, you know, make jokes about Bobby while he's cooking and stuff. (laughs) When we're on triple threat, part of my pressure is to not let Bobby down Mm -hmm. because I know that he chose me for a reason. He chose Brooke for a reason. He chose, he flew to go taste Tiffany's food to choose her for a reason we also have to live up to that, too.
0: What What is it like having Brooke and Tiffany as your teammates?
1: It's it's kind of nice to be on Brooke's team because she's got a pretty good track record against me. Um, and so it's like <laughs> I'd rather be doing that. Than comp- <laughs> and just I mean, being around Tiffany and, and and really getting to peel back all the layers that make her up as a person, but more specifically as a chef, like the wealth of knowledge that she has and brings to the kitchen is one that I think not a lot of people get to experience because. They don't know how far around the world she's traveled, and how many things she's picked up along the way, and how she sort of has taken these sort of southern or uh, mixed, but mixed th- those roots with like her global sort of experiences, and really has put together a type of cuisine that is very unique to her. Mm-hmm. And I think um, you know we, we we're very familiar with Brooke's cooking, uh, but Brooke as a competitor there's something a lot different about how Brooke cooks in a competition to how she cooks like in her restaurants. And I think that she's very smart in that balance because she saves a lot of those surprises for when she's competing. Mm. And you're like, dang, I didn't know Brooke knew all that. And so, (laughs) and she's done that to me against me several times. And so for me, I'm just like, (laughs) like, when, when does she start doing that? And so it's like, And that's where I go back to like the the competitive cooking versus the restaurant cooking too, because it's very different. And Brooke is Brooke to me is one of the best competing chefs there's ever been. Mm -hmm. Like for some reason, she's just really good at that.
0: Yeah. No, I say that all the time. I think I think competitive cooking is its own category right because like you were saying you can be an amazing chef but maybe you know when there's a time constraint or there's cameras rolling like maybe that's just not your your time to shine and it seems like all three of you really kind of step into the spotlight and really embrace that opportunity i also love that the the dishes are judged blind you know like but i always do wonder do these judges have an inkling of like could they pick your dish out Of the two, even though they technically don't know who cooked what
1: in round one. uh, Absolutely not, because they don't know until round two who's cooked. And so um, I think after round one, it does become a little bit easier to make those predictions. But that's what's funny is like sometimes I'll cook completely different than what they would expect me to cook just because I'm that much in my head. And I'm thinking to myself, well, if they can sort of, they know that now that I'm here and well, I mean, they know that I'm here when they come in, but they don't know until I cook what I cook. It's almost a fun part of the show. And I think that that could be something to ask. Who do you think cooked one di- which yeah. dish? which before, before they start critiquing it, because, you know, there's another show uh, and, and I judge on it occasionally, Alex vs. America. Mm-hmm. And it's so fun because in my head, I'm like, I Alex definitely cooked this, definitely cooked this. And then when you find out that she didn't, you're like, Oh wow. Like <laughs> I, I I mean they do want they are trying to guess. Yeah. I mean yeah. <laughs> despite the fact that they say like I'm just here to judge the food. I that for me it's part of the experience for them too. And a fun part. Would you rather judge or cook? Always cook. I would always rather cook uh than judge. And that goes with any format. Um I I enjoy it more. Uh and when I'm judging, honestly, I'm sitting there like you know, when you're watching a football game at, at home and you're like, you know, you're yelling at a professional athlete as if you could do it better than them, which that's sort of what I'm doing when I'm when I'm when I'm watching people cook. And so rather than sort of spectate from the from the couch, I, I would rather cook.
0: All right. Well, we are so glad that we get to continue to watch you cook in this arena. Um, it has been so so fun so far, but uh, I'm sure much, much more to come. So we're going to finish things off with a little rapid fire round. And then we have one final question for you. All right. Do you have an idea for your next tattoo?
1: Uh, Maybe I'll get one removed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: All right. In honor of Fioretta, what is the secret to a perfect steak? Season it. If you had a speakeasy, what would the password be? Bobby Slay. <laughs> if you did not live in L.A., where would you live?
1: I mean, cliche answer, but I I, I would live on Maui. I would live in Hawaii.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's that's a pretty great place to live, I'm sure. Um, you recently had had a residency in Vegas at the Bellagio with your brother. So are you more of a blackjack or roulette guy?
1: Definitely blackjack. OK, and not well, not good at it <laughs> at all. <laughs>
0: Would you rather publicly post your Google search history, Spotify history or the notes app from your phone?
1: You want a quick fire answer (laughs) or an example, a reason behind you can
0: give you can give a reason. Yeah.
1: Spotify for sure, because I think that I'm pretty good at curating some music. Okay. My notes are it's funny that you say that because every time I start a new dish and in fact, I'll open my notes right now and tell you. I'll write things down so that I remember to make them. Okay. So, for instance, my last few notes are microwave potato pave, frito misto uni cream, Great Lakes fish, (laughs) tavern style pizza, blowtorch lardo pizza, shit on a shingle. I wrote that in my notes, and baked ziti pizza. So, um, I don't know that anyone would understand my notes. Uh, What was the last one? My Google search. Yeah, your Google search. um, (laughs) I don't know. It's usually cars. Like I'm looking I, I'm obsessed with cars, so that's boring.
0: Uh all right. I like I like the Spotify one though. Uh, yeah, my notes app is is a disaster for sure. Okay, final one. What is a hobby or venture you've always wanted to try?
1: Well, when, when I was younger, my other career I wanted to be a rodeo clown. <laughs> so, that's something that I want to do like once. But like if they were still making that show where it's like where you get to go learn how to do yeah. something and then you get to do it professionally once. Um I would I would want to be a rodeo clown. I love once.
0: that. I grew up in Montana so there was a lot of rodeos in my my childhood. So, yeah, they're pretty cool. Okay, final question. And I guess we technically asked you this the first time we had you on, but um I don't remember what your answer was, so maybe it'll be different. Um what would be on the menu for your perfect food day? So we want to hear Breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert. Um, you can travel in between meals. You can um, you know, time travel even. There's no rules. We just want to hear your ideal meal for each of those.
1: You know what's crazy is I used to try to answer these like very sort of chefy, like highbrow, like <laughs> something cool, um and esoteric. I will say for breakfast, uh just a solid breakfast sandwich. Okay. Just a bacon, egg and cheese, sausage egg and cheese, breakfast sandwich. I there's Nothing better than that. Um, for lunch, I'll have the same thing I had for breakfast and maybe even for dinner. Um, but no, <laughs> lunch. Lately, I've been uh, once a month like eating a burger. And again, I'm just this is going to be very boring. No, it's I'm okay. starting to like because of the way that I cook, I go back to like very basic stuff when I'm craving. And I think it's what everyone craves. So I w- I'm going to keep it breakfast sandwich, a burger. What kind of like and a pizza? What kind of
0: burger? Like, are you like a big, thick, you know, kind of steakhouse burger or like a smash burger
1: smash smash burger there's a burger in LA called burgers never say die and um that's the name of the restaurant and their burgers are just you can't when you eat one you immediately want another one um
0: I love a smash burger
1: dinner I'm I'm lately like I can get really fancy with it but honestly I had this conversation yesterday and I don't know that there's a more famous dish than the pizza and I just think Mm -hmm. that a thin I like a thin crust Loaded with pepperoni. Mm. And I will say this. Yes, I want a side of ranch to get my crust <laughs> in. And I know like, again, it doesn't for me, we're we're making Neapolitan pizzas uh, in one of our restaurants that we're opening. I love the art of that. And for me studying that, but like I like to eat basic food because, and, and I'm not saying pizza is basic. There's nothing basic about it, but like I crave the same things that everyone else craves. And I love comfort food. It's comfort, that. yeah. Breakfast sandwich, a burger and a pizza. Side of ranch, uh, that's my day.
0: Are you having a dessert? But hopefully
1: not all on the same day, because <laughs> that would be like.
0: <laughs> uh, wait, are you having dessert or or skipping dessert?
1: I love dessert, you know, banana cream pie, things like that. Or, but but honestly, if you took a banana cream pie and put it in the blender with some ice cream and made a milkshake out of it, I'd be stoked.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it that, that it's all comfort food. I mean, those are all delicious things that I think everybody craves. So um, no, it sounds like a perfect food day. And once again, congrats on all the success. And we love watching you on uh, Bobby's Triple Threat.
1: Thank you guys so much.
0: You can catch Michael on Bobby's Triple Threat Tuesdays at 9, 8 central on Food Network and streaming on Discovery Plus. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review. We love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies next Friday.